What comes to mind when you think of the church? Is it community, worship, or hearing God's word? The church is all of these things. Jesus teaches that his followers will overflow with his joy. The church is God's community. It's where the joy of heaven invades the sadness of earth, no matter what happens in the world around us. The empty tomb gives us a reason to celebrate. Hopelessness is a lie. Pain is temporary. Darkness is defeated. And we're called to invite everyone to experience the eternal party God is throwing. You are invited to First Church. Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here. Whether you are on-site or online, down our modern hymn service, we are glad that you are joining us today for, for worship. And I just looked online. We've got Jacob from Montana joining us. We've got one of Oklahoma's finest. I'm not going to mention his name, but he's in his police car right now listening to us. And also, we've got Michael and Carolyn, who's out in California, as well as a bunch of others. So if you are here on-site, would you put your hands together? Welcome in our online family. It's great having all of you guys here for our Tailgate Sunday. And I see a lot of teams represented already, and that's awesome. And so since college football starts this week, I want to see who in our church has the loudest fans. So I'm going to put some teams up here on the screen. And if I put your team up there, I want you to shout out loud, clap, do whatever, make some noise. Let the people who are watching at home know that you're here, okay? So let's see who has the loudest fans in our church. So here we go go. Do we have any OSU fans? All right. Yeah, I got some cowboys out there. Okay. Well, we will have Pistol Pete on site after this service, so you can get your picture with that creepy mascot. You can get your picture with him, and it'll be great. Post it up on social media. Okay. How many OU fans do we have? All right, sweet, okay. Well, we tried to get Boomer and Sooner, the mascots, to be here, and they never returned our phone call. So if you have any connections, let us know, and uh, we'll try to get them here next year, okay? Now, I can't leave out Tulsa. How many Tulsa Golden Hurricanes fans do we have? All right, good representation, awesome, love it. How about Arkansas Razorbacks? Any Arkansas fans? Got a few, all right. How many Kentucky Wildcats fans do we have? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. God's people back there. Absolutely, yes. And the rest of you, that's why God sent me here to be a missionary. So uh, we are glad you're here. Do we have any divided households? Any households that are cheering for two different teams? Let me hear you. Any divided households out there? Oh, a few, okay. Uh, I know a guy who went to a Kentucky-Mississippi State game, and I know that means nothing to most of you guys, but went to that game not too long ago, and this was the couple sitting in front of him. If you can't see, this says, I'm not with him and I'm not with her, and they've got their team colors on. I think that's great. Some of you guys may identify with that. Were there any teams that I didn't mention that you guys want to shout out real fast? Any teams? Jay? Oh, no, we're not talking about Kansas. No, oh, okay, no, nuh-uh, no. Church is a place for all people but Kansas Jayhawk fans. Okay, so uh, I'm, that's a joke. It really is. Okay, any other fans real fast? Real? Notre Dame, who? Penn State, all right, great. Well, welcome, everybody. Even if we didn't say your team, welcome. We are glad that you're here. And our staff was so excited about Tailgate Sunday that we decided to have our inaugural staff flag football game this year. And I thought maybe you might want to take a look at this. 
Welcome First Church to the inaugural Your Invited Football Showdown. We're your hosts, Jay and Jay. And today we are looking at Team Orange Crushers versus the Blue Lagoonies. Now, Jay, our players were very carefully selected on who's out here today. Oh, they sure were. They look for heart and moderate athleticism. All right, let's get ready to play. When they hear the sound of the drum, they'll be saying, oh, Lord, here they come. Yeah, here we come. Huh, here we come. <laughs> here we come. Here we come. Is that serious? I think so. We might have a problem. Oh, it looks like Tim Tibbles is gonna try to walk it off. Well, Jessica, you know why they call us First Church? Because we're the first church for a whole staff to risk bodily injury for a sermon illustration. And the Orange Crushers having a team huddle. Yeah, I placed the ball in the five minutes. See if they grow. And when you hear the sound of the drum, we'll be saying, here we come. Well, someone call me Rob Riggle, because holy moly, that was a good play. there to Katie, but Brian has the ball. Brian, Brian avoiding Casey. Brian looking. Brian to Chad. Chad, that's successful. And Chad in the end zone. That is game over. The Orange Crushers have taken the Blue Lagoonies. Keep your head up, Jake. Yeah. Not only can I now say that I scored a touchdown on the Owasso Rams field, I scored the winning touchdown on the Owasso Rams field. So that was a whole lot of fun. I love this team. We have a great team here at First Church, and we had a lot of fun. We were sweaty, and we're still sore after that game, which was like on Tuesday. But still, we're still sore because we're getting old. But we had a ton of fun. But probably one of my favorite moments of that entire experience has to do with our care minister, Jake Fallis. That's this guy right here, in case you don't know him. And Jake, before we got started, as we were taking the field, he just stopped everybody, and he said, guys, I just wanna let you know something. And this is what he said. He said, hey guys, I just wanna say thank you because I've never been asked to play football before, and this really means a lot to me. <laughs> and we had some people that laugh. Some of our staff went, oh, you know, and other staff members just kind of stared at him like, what, you know? But when I heard him say that, what was in my head was that line from the Phil Collins song. That was Jake's moment, you know? And I don't know if he was joking, I think he probably was, but I'm glad that in that moment, Jake felt like he belonged, that he was part of the team. You see, in life, whether it's football or anything else, 
Nobody wants to feel like an outsider. No one wants to feel like they don't belong. No one wants to be the last one picked or the one not picked at all. Everybody wants to feel like they're included. Everybody wants to feel like that they're part of something bigger than themselves. When I was a kid growing up, we would have birthday parties, and it seemed like for every birthday party, I would get one of these. You guys know what this is, a Nerf football. And sometimes I would actually get more than one because multiple kids would bring me Nerf footballs. And that was all right because, you know, these things tear up or you lose them or, you know, you throw them into the neighbor's yard and that wonderful old lady won't give it back. You know, that's a hypothetical situation. But still, you know, things happen to these, so you need backups. And I remember playing pick up games of Nerf football on the playground or backyard, whatever. And whenever you get a bunch of kids together and you play a game of Nerf football, what's the first thing that you do? You pick teams, right? You choose teams. And nobody wants to be the last guy picked. And even worse than that is if you have like an odd number and you're the one that's not picked or you're the alternate, you know, has to wait to come in. You're the sub, has to wait to come in. Nobody wants to be picked last. Nobody wants to not be picked at all because if that happens on the playground, then it ends up being a really bad day. And today we're gonna look at a passage of scripture from Luke chapter five when some fishermen we're having kind of a bad day. That is until Jesus came along and reminded them that their lives mattered, that their lives mattered to God. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and look up Luke chapter five. You can look it up on your phone or tablet, our First Church app. And while you do that, we're gonna have some fun here today. Does anybody firsthand I see, does anybody want this in our football? Let me see a hand. Okay, way back in the back. I'm gonna see if I can do it. Is, is that Philip back there? Is that who that is? Yeah, okay, here we go. You guys around him, watch out, because this is gonna be fun. Okay, so here we go, you ready? Oh, it's bad, it's bad, oh, okay, there we go, almost, almost, all right, sorry. You can give that to Philip, sorry. Uh, oh. You can come get it later, okay, here we go, all right, we're moving on. We gotta, we're in a time crunch. All right, so Luke chapter five. So basically what's going on here is Jesus is launching his earthly ministry, and that's gonna be about a three-year earthly preaching, teaching ministry where he goes all throughout this area. And as he is starting his ministry, he's near this body of water, this lake commonly called the Sea of Galilee, and he already has this reputation for being a great preacher and teacher of God's word. And so people from all over are coming to hear him preach and teach and He's become so popular that at this moment, again, his ministry hasn't really, it's just kind of starting right now. It really hasn't taken off yet. He's got such a large crowd around him that people are trouble, having trouble hearing him. And so in this day and age, they don't have fancy microphones like we have or PA systems. And so Jesus uses the natural acoustics of the Sea of Galilee in order to project his voice. Because, you know, you got people in the back there saying, speak up, I can't hear. And so he's going to use the natural acoustics of this body of water. And this is what happens. It says in Luke chapter 5, verse 2, he saw, Jesus saw at the water's edge, two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now there are a couple things here I want us to pay attention to, a couple important details here. And the first is, what were these fishermen doing who owned the boats? Well, they were washing their nets, they were cleaning their nets. What that means is these boats weren't currently in use, right? 
these fishermen, they were calling it a day. They were done fishing. They were cleaning their equipment so they could come back another day. And what we find out later in the text is that these professional fishermen had been fishing all night long. They knew the best time to fish. And they had been fishing all night long in a body of water that they always fished in and they hadn't caught a thing, not one single fish. So you could imagine that these fishermen are probably pretty frustrated. I mean, if you're somebody who fishes like me just for fun and you don't catch anything, well, that's a bummer of a day, right? But if you're a professional fisherman and you do that for a living and you don't catch anything, I mean, that's like missing a paycheck. This is your livelihood. They're probably pretty discouraged. So they're washing their nets, they're cleaning their equipment, and their boats currently are not in use. Then I want you to notice something else. Jesus walks up to one of the boats. We're told there are two. And he walks up to one of them, the one owned by a guy named Simon. Now, Simon will later be called Peter. Same guy, Jesus calls him Peter later on. And Peter is the one who will see things that he never thought he would see. I mean, Peter will be the one who walks on water. Peter will be the one that gets to see all these miracles that Jesus accomplishes. In fact, God will use Peter to do miracles when the church begins. Peter's gonna be the one who preaches the first ever sermon on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people are baptized. And for 2,000 years now, Peter has made an influence on the world for the sake of Jesus. God's gonna use Peter a lot, but we're not there yet. He's still Simon at this point. And Simon's just a fisherman who kind of knows Jesus. This isn't the first time that they've met. They've met before, Luke chapter four tells us, but they're not real close yet. They still gotta know each other at a distance. And what's interesting is Jesus gets in the boat and then asked Peter if he can use it to preach from, basically. Now, don't act like that's not odd. I mean, that's a little strange, right? It's a little out of order. That would be like me, after service, going and hopping in your car if you left it unlocked, and you walk up to your car and you see a strange person sitting in the passenger seat, and then when you open it up and you find out it's me, you're like, Chad, what are you doing? I'm like, hey, I want you to drive me somewhere today. Well, I could have asked before I got in the car, right? That's weird. You would probably do it because you kind of know me, but it's still weird, and you would be talking about that preacher at First Church forever, right? It's kind of weird. Jesus just gets in the boat and he says, hey, I want I want you to take me a little bit out so I can preach to the people, but Peter does it because Peter kind of knows Jesus, but not real well just yet. And this just reminds me of the key truth. Maybe somebody needs to hear this today. The journey of faith isn't always one of giant leaps. Sometimes it's just taking one small step after another with Jesus. Because here's the thing. We're not at the point yet where Peter is ready to stand up and preach on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people are baptized. We're not there yet. We'll get there, but we're not there yet. This is just the first small step. And sometimes when we think about following Jesus or the church and all that, we look at other Christians and we're like, hey, I can't get there. Well, maybe God doesn't want you to take a giant leap there. Maybe what God wants is for you just to trust him in the moment and take one step after another and he will lead you to the greater life that he designed you to live. So Peter takes a small step in the direction of Jesus and it forever changes his life. In verse four, we read this. It says, when he had finished speaking, when Jesus was finished teaching the crowds, still in the boat, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Apparently, Jesus has something further he wants to teach Simon. 
You know, sometimes when a sermon ends, we think, okay, we're done, like God's finished talking to us, we're done studying God's word. But when the sermon ends, that's when the application begins, right? That's what's going on here. Jesus has been teaching, and now he wants to know if Simon, Simon Peter, has been listening, and if he's ready to apply what he's been hearing all this time. Now, what Jesus tells Simon to do is interesting. He says, I want you to go back out. I want you to drop your nets back in the water so that we can get a catch. Now, remember, these are professional fishermen. This is what they do for a living. Jesus is not. Jesus is a carpenter by trade turned rabbi. I mean, his expertise is in like wood and hammer and nails, not with nets and fish and boats. That was Peter's area. And I'm sure Peter and these other fishermen with him are probably thinking, Oh, come on, Jesus, stay in your lane. No, no, no. You go build us a chair or a table or something, or you keep teaching because you're a pretty good teacher. Let us handle the fishing. Stay in your lane, Jesus. How often do we treat Jesus like that, though? You know, we're like, you know, Jesus, we're fine listening to you on Sunday or when we're with our small group or our church friends, but at work, I gotta be a certain guy or at school, I gotta be a certain girl or, you know, when it comes to living, uh, living my life when I'm, you know, playing sports or whatever, there's a certain type of person I have to be and so Jesus, just stay in your lane. But here's the thing, Jesus sees what we often can't see and in verse five, Simon hasn't realized this yet. He says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Simon, I think, is trying to be polite here, but he's rolling his eyes. You know, Jesus, listen, we're the fishermen, and you're not, and we've been fishing all night, and we haven't caught a thing. And I wonder if Simon paused there in that moment, like, take the hint, Jesus, you know? But Jesus doesn't say anything. He just keeps staring at him like, go do it. <laughs> and Simon says, well, okay, because you say so, because I have respect for you, I'll do it. But I guarantee Simon and the rest of the fishermen there that day were thinking, this isn't going to work. I'll do it because I respect you, Jesus, but this isn't going to work. But what these fishermen missed is what they had been doing wasn't working, Right? I mean, you ever been in a situation where you've just been working and working and working really hard to do something, to accomplish something, but then you get to the end of your day and you feel like you haven't accomplished anything? You ever been in a season of life where you're just busy all the time, you're doing all this stuff, but you just don't feel like you're accomplishing anything? That's where these fishermen were that day. They had been working for hours and hours and hours and hours trying to catch fish, and it wasn't working. And Jesus comes along, he says, okay, now that you see that this isn't working, why don't you try my way? And they still don't wanna do it thinking their way's better. How often is that us in life? What we're doing isn't working and we know it, but we still don't wanna to listen to Jesus. We still think we know more. And Jesus is trying to let us know, but what you're doing, it's not working, so why don't you listen to me? Because remember what I said a second ago, Jesus sees what we often can't see. And that's exactly what happens here. What Jesus is asking these men to do doesn't make any sense. He's asked them to drop their nets, which they have just cleaned, by the way. They're gonna have to clean them again after this, you know, and that takes a while. That wasn't a small task. They're gonna have to clean all their equipment all over again just for nothing, and they're mine, but they do it anyway. Now, my question is why? I mean, Peter's a pretty outspoken guy. When you read about the life of Peter, he doesn't really hold anything back, you know, he just kind of says what he thinks, and why is that Peter, this stubborn guy, doesn't say no to Jesus? Well, remember what I said, they kind of know each other? Because just a little bit before this moment, Jesus is preaching in Peter's hometown. 
And Jesus comes to Simon Peter's house, and when Jesus gets there, he finds out that Simon Peter's mother-in-law is really, really, really bad sick. She has a really, really high fever, and she's not doing well. So Jesus comes in and he heals Simon's mother-in-law of her sickness. In fact, it says this in Luke chapter 4. Standing at her bedside, Jesus rebuked the fever and it left her. And she got up at once and prepared a meal for them. Sounds like my grandma, you know. You can't go over to her house without her wanting to serve you something. Even if you were just there for like 15 minutes, you were getting cookies or something, you know. So here, this lady, Peter's mother-in-law, has been sick, really, really bad sick on her deathbed. Jesus comes in and heals her. He rebukes her fever. It's gone, and she gets up and fixes some food. I mean, sounds just like my grandma. And Peter knew what Jesus had done for his family. Jesus had healed his mother-in-law. Some biblical scholars believe that's why Peter later denied Jesus three times. But uh, that's a joke. His mother-in-law, get it? Okay, uh, okay, sorry, bad joke. I love my mother-in-law. Bonnie, if you're watching, I love you. Okay, you're great. Peter knows what Jesus had done for his family. And so I think out of respect for what Jesus had done for his family, Peter says, because it's you and because of what you did for my my, my wife, my family, my mother-in-law, all drop the nets again. And he does. He says, because you said so, I will let down the nets. What if we live life like this? What if we said, okay, Jesus, I know what you're asking doesn't make sense to us, and I know we don't think it's gonna work, and Jesus, we're confused about the details, and Jesus, we don't get it. But because you said so, and we trust you and have respect for you as our Lord, we're gonna do it. What would your life look like if you said that every time? Let me reverse that. What are you missing right now in your life because you haven't been saying that? Peter says, because you said so, I'm gonna do it. And what we find out is that Jesus often asks us to throw our nets out before we know what will happen next. And what happens next is incredible. Goes on to say in the passage, it says, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now these are industrial grain fishing nets. They were made to catch large amounts of fish and they're breaking. These are fishing boats. They were made to hold fish, and they're sinking. These fishermen have never had a catch like this before. This was the biggest catch they had ever experienced in their life. And we would think that Peter would be excited for one thing. He'd be grateful because they were going to go without a paycheck, and now they've got a ton of fish that they can sell and live off of. We would think Peter would be grateful and excited, maybe a combination of both, right? But that's not how Peter responds. I mean, it would make sense if Peter said, Jesus, this is great. I'm taking you on every fishing trip I go on from here on out, you know, because you know where the fish are. But that's not how Peter responds. Look at how Peter responds. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. The first time I really started studying this passage, that's not how I expected Peter to respond. Because Simon Peter basically says this. He says, Jesus, you don't want to have anything to do with someone like me. See what's going on here. 
What's going on is Peter realizes Jesus is able to see beneath the surface of the water what he, a professional fisherman, could not see. And if Jesus can do that, that means he can see beneath the surface of his own life. Because Peter is starting to realize here who Jesus is, but Peter also knows who Peter is. And there's always something deeper beneath the surface of our lives. I hate to break this to you, but guys, what you see on social media and other people's lives, that's not real life. That's just the post that they want you to see. <laughs> There's always other things going on beneath the surface. When it comes to your neighbors, even your friends, your coworkers, teammates, schoolmates, whoever, there's always something more beneath the surface. Peter knew what was beneath the surface of his life, and he didn't want Jesus to see that because he was afraid that if Jesus knew his heart, if Jesus knew his past, if Jesus knew who he really was, that Jesus would have never got into the boat. But here's the thing. Jesus already knew. Jesus knew who Peter was before he ever got into Peter's boat, and yet Jesus got in anyway. You know why? Because Jesus doesn't just see us as we are right now. He sees us for who we can become when we surrender our lives to him. See, Peter knew that he had messed up a lot, but Jesus knew that as well. But Jesus was not gonna timestamp Peter where he was in this moment. And we can understand why Peter would think that he wasn't worthy enough to be in Jesus' presence. I mean, think about it for a second. Peter was impulsive. He was a loud mouth. He often said things before he thought about it. He was a know-it-all. He was kind of violent. I mean, you don't cut off a man's ear unless you've got some issues, okay? I mean, Peter had some real issues. And yet Jesus, knowing all that, still got into Peter's boat. And I think Jesus wants us to know that he wants to be in your boat today as well. Look at how Jesus responds to Peter. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid from now on. In other words, from this point on, everything's gonna change. Everything's gonna be different. From now on, you will catch men. I'm gonna change your life. I'm gonna send you out on a mission. You're gonna have a new purpose, a new identity. You're gonna have a new life. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything left everything and followed him. See, in this moment, the catch didn't matter because they had found the Christ. In this moment, the miracle didn't matter because they had found the Messiah. In this moment, the fish didn't matter because they had found the one who could restore them to the Father. They had found something greater than anything this world could possibly offer. What they had realized is that the one who spoke the cosmos into existence, the one who holds the universe in his hands, the one who has power over nature, the one who has a plan that he is carrying out to restore all things, this one, this God over all, Peter realized that he wanted him. And I think that's the message that God wants you to hear today as well. No matter your past, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what reputation you have, what other people think of you, no matter where you are right now, Jesus wants you. Because here's the thing. Jesus didn't need Peter's boat. If Jesus wanted to speak to the people from the water, 
I think Jesus, we find out later, has the ability to walk on water. He could have walked out there, and that would have been really cool. That would have been more impressive. He would have had an even bigger crowd if he did that, right? He didn't need Peter's boat. He could have walked on the water. Why did he get in Peter's boat? Not because he needed Peter's boat, but because he wanted Peter. And the same is true for you today. God doesn't need you. He's not obligated to love you. He wants you. He loves you. And he has chosen you to be on his team. And I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty cool. And I think when Peter realized that, that's why he was willing to leave everything behind. Matthew and Mark tell us that they left their nets behind. In other words, they don't care about being fishermen anymore. They're leaving everything behind. When I was a junior in high school, we came back after Christmas break and I walked into my first class after Christmas break. It was U.S. history. Went to homeroom first, then went to our first class. And my class, U.S. history, happened to be right beside my homeroom. So I just went from one room to the other and walked right in. And I was the first one in there because uh, I knew I was going to have some buddies in that class, some friends, but they were on the other side of the school uh, and so in their homeroom. And so I just went on in. And I knew where all of my buddies were going to sit. We always sat in the back of the room. You know, that's what the cool kids said. You know, we were going to sit in the back of the room. So I was the first one in there, had my backpack on me. I went to the very back desk and I sat down put, a, put my backpack down and I just kind of waited for my buddies to get there because I knew they would be there eventually and as I sat there in the back of the room I knew that the only way that I was going to move from the back of the room is if the teacher happened to have assigned seats because some teachers did that you know so unless the teacher came in and said okay well we're alphabetical order that's the only way I was going to move I was going to sit in the back of the room with my buddies and I wasn't going to move unless somebody made me so I thought. Then as I'm sitting in the back of the room, the only one in the class right now, a really pretty, tall, blonde girl named Allison walked in. <laughs> and she sat in the front of the room. I didn't know Allison yet, but she turned around and glanced at me and she smiled. And I thought, who is that? She turned back around. We're the only two people in the room. And then she turned back around and she said, you can come up here and sit beside me if you want to. Let me tell you something, I couldn't get to the front of the room fast enough. <laughs> now, I was in high school so I played it cool, you know, but still, I couldn't get to the desk beside her fast enough. And then all my buddies came in after that and they're like, Chad, why aren't you sitting in the back? And I'm like, I'm good, I'm good. You know, I'm pointing to her like, hey, it's fine, it's all right. Now, prior to meeting Allison, I would have had to have been forced to move to the front of the room, right? Why did I willingly go and didn't even put up any opposition? It's because I was given an invitation I couldn't turn down. This is why Peter leaves everything. Not for a girl, but he leaves everything because the God of the universe was inviting him to be on his team. The God of the universe was inviting Peter to live a new life. The God of the universe was letting Peter, this loudmouth, violent, sometimes vulgar fisherman, Peter, was inviting him to be part of his eternal plan. And when Peter got that invitation, he could not turn it down because Peter realized he was somebody to God. And I think that's what our world needs to hear today. 
We need to hear that I'm somebody to God, that you're somebody to God. And if you don't care, would you say those four words with me out loud? Here we go. One, two, three. I'm somebody to God. Say it again. I'm somebody to God. Because I don't care what anybody else thinks about you. God created you in his image. You are his child. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Not just the guy beside you or the girl in front of you. God loves them too, but he loves you. Yes, you. And God is extending the football to you. And he's saying, come join my team. I'm not picking you last. You matter to me. I want you on my team. I coach my kids' soccer team, and it's a lot of fun, but there are some interesting experiences when you coach little kids. And I remember a couple years ago, I was coaching my son's team, and we were in a tournament, and I wanted to sub one of the players that was on the sideline. And so I turned to him and called out his name, and I said, you go in for so-and-so. And normally when I tell a kid to go in, they're ready to go in because they want to play. And so I have a kid sprint in front of me. They go to the midfield line, wait for the referee to call him in. And I'm standing there and nobody runs in front of me. Nobody moves. And so I'm still watching the game, but it hits me. Nobody went to the midfield line to sub. So I turn back around to the same kid I was just talking to. And I said, hey, buddy, it's time for you to go in. And I kid you not, he is on a phone. I don't know if it's his parents' phone or his phone or what, but he's on a phone playing a video game. And I said, it's time for you to go in. And he looked at me and he said, oh, okay, cool, coach. Let me finish my game real fast. And I'm like, there's a game, a real game going on right in front of you and your team needs you. And so he put down the game and he got in. But how often is that us? God is calling you. He's extending the football and he's saying, hey, I want you on my team. I've got great plans for you. Together, we're gonna change the world. We're gonna change people's lives. I've got a greater purpose in store for you. How you've been living, it isn't working, but I'm calling you by name to come to a life that will work, that will be satisfying, that will be fulfilling. Well, you have peace that passes understanding and hope that lasts for all eternity. I am calling you to a greater purpose. And we're saying, okay, hang on, Jesus. Let me finish with my distraction of over here first. God is inviting you to be part of his eternal plan. And I wonder if you will listen to his words when he says, from now on, you don't have to live how you used to live. From now on, you can live for something greater. Because here's the thing, nobody's a nobody to God. Everybody's a somebody to God. Nobody's a nobody to God. Everybody's a somebody to God. The question is, have you realized that? Because God is extending the greatest invitation to you, and that is to experience his love and his joy. That's, why, that's what this You're Invited series is all about. We are a people of joy, and that's why we throw a party every week during the series, to remind everybody that we are a people of joy. Because no matter what happens with all the darkness and sadness that is around us, we have the joy of heaven because God has chosen us to be on his team. And we want to extend that joy to others because Jesus says that my people will overflow with my joy. This is a place where the joy of heaven meets the sadness of earth. And today, you're invited to be part of it.
Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this moment that we've had to open up your word and to study it, and I just pray that we, like Peter, would realize that we are somebody to you, that our lives matter to you, that you are choosing us, calling us to be on your team, and not just to be part of the team, but to actually make a difference on that team in this world around us. I just pray that everyone who's listening to this message today will not leave here today and shut, shut the book on this message, but will actually apply it and will realize that God has a greater purpose for their life. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.